The Redneck Tech Podcast is brought to you by Diamondback Covers, the absolute best cover you could ever spend your money on. If you need an insurance policy for all the expensive gear on the back of your truck, then you need a Diamondback cover. Make the bed of your truck a vault with Diamondback. Right here, right here, right here. Yeah. You want it? Yeah. Guess what I just did? I just opened up the podcast to see what number this was going to be, and I forgot. This is going to be episode 107, and we are in the hotel room in Salt Lake City, Utah, with Ryder Porter, a.k.a. Red Velvet, a.k.a. Um, Crosshead Ginger Viking. You've got a lot of nicknames. And then, Such is the life of a ginger. Yeah. And then we have our buddy Clint Easley, who is here with us. That's right. What's up, buddy? I was just enjoying Ginger Street earlier today. Yes, <laughs> yes, one of uh, Ryder's best pictures of himself he's ever had. And uh, also we got done eating lunch at the Copper Onion downtown with our buddy Trevor Thompson and his girlfriend, and then there was a place called Ginger Street. So naturally, Ryder and Clint went over there to take a picture of the ginger. In front of Ginger Street. In front of Ginger yeah. Street. Salt Lake City. I'm a little disappointed we didn't eat there. New Tinder profile pic? Um, I hope so. Probably it'll go up there, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think, think that's going to get the ladies. That's going to hook them. We're not sure really what <laughs> what hooks the ladies, or is that still a working? That's really a working theory and hypothesis. <laughs> it's con- constantly changing. It's like it's like when you're hunting elk and you don't really know what they're doing and you're trying to figure it out as you go along. It's kind of the same thing. You have to describe your pose though, because you had a, a heroic pose in front of the Ginger Street, which. To me, if you dissect that, it really defines that you're not afraid to be <laughs> a redheaded ginger. You're proud of it. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a, a stereotypical feature. hero shot with my hands or hands <laughs> on my hips, and I'm looking, I guess, victoriously up into the far distant sky at really nothing in particular, but <laughs> two things at the same time, of course. Um, <laughs> but I can't take credit for that. That was your idea to pose me like that. Yeah. Well, you know, we have our moments. Yeah. At the end of the day, we all just press buttons. Yep. So that's kind of what I want to talk about. So Clint has been uh, doing some freelance work for Copeland Creative and Hunt Masters. And uh, I got to hunt with him and film with him for the first time three weeks ago, two weeks ago. Yeah, I think three weeks ago. Three weeks ago good. here in Utah. So we're back in the same place. You're actually going back to the same location. You've already been away a week. Yes. So you're about to go for your third week at the same location. Yes. All three with clients of ours that you've been doing some freelance work for. Um, I just really wanted to get, we'll get into some Western filming and some of the you know experiences you've had, but okay. wanted just more or less, first of all, is like introduce yourself. You know, you've got a super cool background you told us about. Um, and I just wanted you to kind of give everybody a 10,000 foot view of who is Clint Easley. A little breakdown on, on the Clint side. Yeah. So let's see how how deep do you want to go in this rabbit hole? Man, that's the great back? thing about a podcast. We can go as long and deep as we want. Yeah, well, I'd uh, like to know your first memory. <laughs> my, my first memory. Oh man, and, I, think and the, I, I think my first memory go to me camouflage shirt dressed as a as a Rambo child hmm. up against the blackberry bushes. But that's a good that's a good solid memory. No, do you think yeah. that? Do you that's think that ties it. into you as a person today? Was that a defining moment? That was my defining four-year-old posing moment in front of a camera, and I knew from there on 
I belong behind the camera. Um, but yeah it goes it it can go back as far as you want but just kind of breaking things down in what led me into the camera world let's see i i started out in washington i'm born and raised in washington state moved to idaho for a few years and lived in emmett which is a small town about 15 miles northwest of boise and from there, I worked my way up to college in the town of Lewiston. So I went to Lewis Clark State for a couple of years. And ironically, that's where Evan Hafer is from, mm-hmm. who we just filmed for Black Rifle Coffee. He just did an amazing elk hunt this past week. So we'll get to that. Um, but after college, I ended up joining some buddies from Idaho, went down to California, and I dabbled in architecture school. So I started out, I wanted to be, a, you know, some somewhat of a doctor. I didn't know which specific doctor I wanted to be. But from there, I decided that staring at a book was not for me. So I I took up architecture, pursued school with that, got my architecture degree, and did that for eight years out of college. I got hired before I even graduated. And beyond that, um, I kind of hit this plateau in my career where I felt like something was missing. I was super passionate about architecture, but there's just something missing and my father had always dabbled with photography he uh retired from the air force went and worked on the pipeline alaska and he picked up a camera and he just documented all sorts of beautiful imagery working on the pipeline wildlife things like that and i remember he'd take these little uh what do you call them the the little slides remember the slides you'd project Mm -hmm. on the wall and he'd show us those and i thought that was the coolest thing that my dad had all these amazing pictures so that kind of inspired me to dabble with photography. So when I hit this plateau in the architecture world, I said, hey, you know what? I'm going to invest in a little DSLR camera, and I'm going to dabble and just take some cool pictures like my father did. So as I got a little bit decent at it, and for me, I'm just a school of YouTube learner. Everything I did is from scratch, just kind of asking people questions. and Not uh, being afraid to ask people questions is half of the battle. Yeah, and... In life, I think you can always ask more than enough questions. You can, there's a lot of times people don't ask enough questions. Yeah. So you can learn a lot about a person if you're not afraid to ask them some things. So I dabbled with that. And when I got the camera and started dabbling, I had some friends, hey, can you shoot my birthday party? Can you shoot some portraits? And it kind of rippled into, wow, I'm starting to get a little bit busier than I anticipated. Now I need to find a way to set some time aside and actually start charging people for this. And I had a buddy of mine, he was uh, kind of a talent agent in the movie industry, got people in commercials, things like that. And we went on a hike one day and he's like, hey, how about we uh, do some headshots while we're up here? So we hiked to the top of this hill. And when we get to the top, there's a gentleman named Freddie Hartice. And they were building what they called a prayer box. And I was like, okay, prayer box, can you elaborate a little bit on what that is? And apparently they had started with you know, a shoebox, and you put in a prayer and then take a prayer for somebody else. Just kind of a nice, local, fun thing to do on the top of this hill called Runyon Canyon, and it overlooked Hollywood, so it had kind of a a peaceful space to it when you're up there. And they were walking. He had a few friends, and they were walking on this ridgeline with bags of concrete, and I was like, this is super interesting. I haven't had my camera. You want me to take some pictures for you guys? He's like, that'd be awesome. So I start taking a few photos Gave him my email address on a piece of paper, and off my buddy and I went and hit, did his headshots and uh, got home. And a few days later, Freddie's like, hey, uh, how'd those pictures turn out in the email? So I respond, turned out great, boom, here's the pictures. 
And he, uh, let's see, after I gave him the pictures, he had an email signature at the bottom. It said HollywoodHunter.com. And I was like, HollywoodHunter.com, curiosity, you know, got to click on it. So mm-hmm. I click on it, and he's holding this big velvet mule deer buck. And it's like a 200-inch mule deer. It's not your typical mule deer. I grew up just casually meat buck hunting with my father. Yeah. And that's kind of where I got into the hunting industry. And uh, so I emailed him back. I was like, dude, you're a hunter in California. I don't know exactly what you're doing with this website, but I'd love to learn more. Can I take you out to lunch and just pick your brain? There goes the asking some extra questions, right? So he's like, absolutely, dude. Let's go grab some lunch. So I find a masculine spot, found a barbecue joint, mm-hmm. and we go and have lunch. And he said that he was starting a hunting show. He had never dabbled before, but he had about a season's worth of content previously filmed with a couple of gentlemen. So I said, all right, um, well, I can dabble with the camera a little bit. I'm still in the learning phase, but what do I got to do to be a part of that? That sounds like an amazing opportunity to get a foot in the door. So he's like, well, can you film? I said, I have no idea how to film with the camera. <laughs> I don't even know if my DSLR did video at that moment. So he said one of the guys that he... Um, had filming, was getting out of the business, but was going to be selling a camera and gave me his contact info. So I was like, well, I'll give the guy a call. Uh, his name is Tom Cartwright. He was a retired game warden, so had access to some pretty unique places, lived in Oklahoma, and in our conversation, he said, hey, if you want to come out and buy this camera, I'll give you a two-day, just fully emerge me in how to operate it and give me the spiel on how to be a camera guy. So I said, all right, let me talk to the missus, get the hall pass, and see if I can pull this off. So we talked through it, and she's like, if that's something you want to do and you, you got some spending cash, I, I support you. Go for it. So I kind of just took took the risk, went out there, met the guy, fantastic guy, great family. Uh, he took me to a exotic wildlife property, high fence property like you'd see typically in Texas, right? Mm-hmm. And we put the camera on tripod. He walked me through the buttons, filmed some wildlife and everything. And by the time I was done in two days, I had hung the camera in a tree stand, learned how to deal with the tree arm. And I figured, I was like, all right, I'm good to go, I guess. So I <laughs> fly back home. My wife's like, how'd it go? I was like, uh, I'm, I'm a camera guy now? I don't, I don't know, <laughs> questionable. But I end up going and knocking on Freddie's door after that. And I said, hey, uh, that guy that you introduced me to with the camera, I'm, I'm, uh, I kind of went over and bought that camera from him. Still opportunity to do some stuff with you. And I think that for him was kind of like a, you invested in it. Yeah, I was invested. He was impressed the fact that I took the initiative to go and do that. And then he could just see that the passion behind it and that I was super interested in this camera opportunity that it may be partially obligated, but also excited about the fact that he maybe found somebody that he could work with yeah. and locally in California because there's not a lot of us, of us hunting type of guys there. Yeah, for sure. So we start working out of a coffee bean. And it just rippled into, I had, um, beyond the architecture, I had done like high-end catering events, managing catering events. I started out as the guy that just passed hors d'oeuvres, then passed champagne, then started managing, and eventually got into the point where I was producing events on the weekends or like after a long architecture work day, I'd go just to make some extra funding money, which is what I put towards buying this camera in the first place. So I told him, I said, well, if we're going to get this show off the ground, I could help you do a launch party. So we found a rooftop in Hollywood, put the whole thing together, had a bunch of his, you know, first invested sponsors there and did this official launch party slideshow. We did silent auction, 
music DJ, the whole works. And it was actually really impressive, the turnout that we had, and people flew from all different states to be there to support us. And so that was the kickoff to the Hollywood Hunter series. From there, I dabbled with architecture, kind of trinkling in some hunts. You know, seasonally, he would he would have me reserve some weeks. I'd go do some things with him, film a little bit, and just get a kind of a taste for it. And then it got to a point where I was like, I, I came to a crossroads. It's either got to be architecture, or it's got to be filming for the hunting industry. And I came to this like really scary point in my life because I was like, man, this is a huge risk. I went to school all these years. I've been doing this out of college for eight years at this point. And I just had to have the big power with my wife. Is it okay to like jump ship and do a complete career change? It was kind of terrifying at the time. But she's a fantastic supporter in everything I've always done. And she's like, hey, if it's what you want, go for it. So I slept on a little bit, thought really hard, and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go and dive into this. So as I jumped in, Freddie blessed me with more opportunities to do more work, more photography work, capturing, you know, still imagery for social media and things for sponsors, more video gigs. And I was more or less the camera B guy. If you have two camera guys, typically that's the best way to capture the good content or how we like to do it anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, And that rippled into just more responsibility, started to help to manage his uh, family's ranch. They have a 3,500 acre ranch in Colorado called the Hartice Ranch. And, Kind of just got both feet in the water and eventually went all in. And so we ended up producing eight seasons of Hollywood Hunter. I produced the last two seasons of that beyond just the cameraman position. And then I made a leap over to Washington State. And we had this uh, fun maneuver where we sold our house in 15 minutes in California. Went to grab some coffee and my buddy was our real estate agent. And he's like, hey, I'm going to show your house if you could just go get some coffee or go for a walk. I'm going to show these folks your home, and uh, and then I'll, I'll follow up with you. We didn't even have our coffee from the cashier yet, and he's like, I, I think I just sold your house. <laughs> so it turned into this just like, you know, throw us down a hallway trying to figure out how in the world we're going to move everything out of the house and make this big shift, and it was kind of that prime time. The market was hot. We wanted to sell our home just to capitalize on some good equity that we had in the property. So we did that, and after we sold it, we're kind of like, well, well what do what? we do now? So we ended up moving to um, Redondo Beach for a little while. And from Redondo, my best friend that I grew up with since diapers, his family owns a fantastic berry farm called Skuma Brothers in Washington State, and he had purchased his family's home. And this home just happened to be the basement that he and I like grew up playing video games in. It was all it was our like chaotic space, right? We could yeah. get away with anything we wanted down there. And he's like, hey, so I bought my parents' house. If you're interested, I'm just going to throw this opportunity at you. You move to Washington, fix the basement up for me, and renovate the whole thing, add a kitchenette and do all that. I'll let you have it for free for a year. So we're weighing out the pros and cons. We're like, cool, we made some good money with our house. Um, We've got this opportunity for my buddy Nathan. What do we want to do? And then we had a son who's two years old at the time. And my whole thing is like, I can't raise a kid in California. He's Mm -hmm. got a 20 by 20 backyard. I'm used to like being able to ride a dirt bike and go as far as I want and just enjoy that. So it was on my heart to really move back to Washington State and go full circle where I was born and raised. So we end up taking him up on this offer, and his family sets us up in their beach home for two months. And so my wife goes from California to this fantastic property in Washington, which I think is really the pivoting point 
that helped her to settle there and to really want to make Washington her home's place. So I spent those two months, renovated the basement. We moved in, and probably about six months into it, she's like, you know what? I want to stay here for the long haul. I was like, hallelujah. <laughs> I got my wife out of California, my two-year-old son, and we're now in Washington State, settled. Um, after the basement, we ended up buying a property we call the Mini Manor, and we've been living there ever since. And beyond that, it's just been kind of travel on the go doing the video stuff. But um, between the moving and the jumping with Freddie, those were kind of the two big scary moments in my life yeah. to get into the camera world. But um, moving to Washington, that opened the door for me from the photography stuff because I was diluting some of my work leaving California. So I dove in deeper with uh, doing stuff for Freddie, the Hollywood Hunter at the time as well. And then we ended up branching and starting a new series called The Maverick. So you guys can find The Maverick on Pursuit Channel Wild TV right now. It's airing as we speak through December. This is season two. And then uh, season three is currently being filmed while we're out here doing some of these fun things in the outdoors. And that's how I ended up in this hotel room with you at this very point. Yeah, it's been in a, a nutshell. Yeah, I mean, I, I think everybody or most guys that I know that do this have not a similar background, but just an equally crazy, mm-hmm. you know, path to get here like this. You know, you get that question a lot, like, well, how do you do what you do? And I was like, if there was one answer to that, I'd give it to you, but there's yeah, not. There's not. Like I came from a completely different background than you. Ryer came from an even different background than you. Mm-hmm. Clay, same thing. You know, so it's one of those deals to where is it's, I think this is a job that if you want to do it and you want to do it bad enough, you, you can do it. I mean, yep. look, cause let's be honest. And I've said this a thousand times. What we do isn't rocket science. Right. Is it hard work? Yeah. A lot of times. Is it stressful? Yeah. A lot of times. But at the end of the day, it's like, you guys are about to go elk hunting for, you've already been elk hunting for a week. Mm-hmm. You're about to go for two weeks. I'm about to go for the next three weeks. Who can, you know, there's not many guys that can say that. Right. You know, they might get five or six, you know, two weeks off, you know, one deer hunt, one elk hunt or two deer hunts or a deer and a turkey and, that's it. Mm-hmm. And then then they're weekend warriors, you know. Whereas we were trying to schedule, okay, how are we going to get gear from here to New Mexico, then back, then back to Montana, then home? How much time do we have at home before we go to the next one, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like running around with your hair on fire. But um, <laughs> my hair is on fire. Yeah, your well, hair is on fire. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's on fire. Um, I think I think the defining I think out of all the like background stories I've heard, the one thing that I've always um, noticed is that everybody who's in this doing it full time, um, usually was they they put themselves in the position to have an opportunity mm-hmm. uh, given to them, and they said yes. Mm-hmm. I think that it's important to say yes to things. Um, Absolutely, and and to be okay with saying yes despite maybe not knowing or being uncomfortable if, if you could do the thing that you just said yes to. Yeah. You know, because um, I think that there's so much that you have to learn that you just don't even know in this in this field until you get into it and you do it. Right. And if you, if you kind of sit back and wait for, like, the perfect opportunity or the perfect time or to feel like you've got it all figured out before you say yes to those opportunities – you're going to miss all those opportunities and you'll never really, I don't think get to the point where you feel like you're ready. I think you just have to say yes and then be confident enough in yourself to, to take the time, take the initiative and put the work in to learn 
how to do what it is you need to do. Yeah, but I think it even gets even simpler than that. And you go back to, you know, what Clint was saying earlier, ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions Mm -hmm. and don't be afraid to meet people. And when you do meet people, when you do ask questions, be prepared to say yes, you know, and be prepared to be uncomfortable, be prepared Mm -hmm. to not know things because you, you you know, that's going to happen. I still don't know things to this day. Mm -hmm. I still have to figure things out on a daily basis, Mm -hmm. but I also am, willing to learn i'm also you know you can't freak out you can't let things get the best of you but uh you know and then kind of like what you were saying i was asking you to take the red you know i was like do you want to take the red and you're like i don't feel comfortable with the red in a pressure situation Mm -hmm. but with your fs7 you can about run that with your eyes closed yeah you know day one of working with mark could you have said that no you couldn't have it took time to learn those things right it you know somebody hands me a you hand me your z6 it's going to take me a minute. Sure. I hand you my cannon. It's going to take you a minute. But once we figure it out, we can go. But there, it's like, you know, you can't be afraid of what you don't know. Yeah. And these days I tell people all the time when they're, you know, they're jumping into this stuff. They're like, well, I need the best camera. I need this and that. I was like, no, you don't. If you got a good iPhone, iPhones take fantastic video. And maybe that's all you can afford at this very moment. Mm-hmm. But practice with it and learn how to, you know, compose your shots. Learn how to use the lighting and the right time of day to get the shots that you need and do what you need to do to build a portfolio. And we have the world at our fingertips these days with technology. You can go and look anything up on YouTube. And I always tell people and encourage them, don't be afraid to ask me questions because all I want to do is be able to give back what people have done well, for me. That's so. the whole reason this podcast is here. Yep. You know, I literally, and you know, I don't know if I've, you've heard the story and I know people that listen have heard the story a thousand times, but when I got started in this business is the only thing I wanted to do was be able to film hunts Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, I played baseball and hunted. It's the only two things I ever enjoyed and was ever good at. So I was like, okay, I got to get a job doing one of those two things. And, uh, it was one of those things to where I had to learn everything the hard way. There wasn't any information out there. You know, when I first got started YouTube, I mean, YouTube was out there, but it wasn't what YouTube is now. Gotcha. You know, there wasn't a podcast that talked about, you know, video content creation in the outdoors like this one. And essentially, I wanted to create this podcast to streamline all the information that I had to work three and a half years, four or five years to figure out Mm -hmm. and put it all in in one nice, neat package that is there and also make us available for any time you have questions like I'm here for you because yep. I reached out to a bunch of people like kind of like you'd ask questions crickets man it's like you had to know somebody to know somebody in order to learn anything gotcha and it was like this big secret and, and you know Ryan and I have talked about it a thousand times nothing that we do is a secret or proprietary mm-hmm. we just have great relationships with people we work hard and we learn and we're willing to make mistakes That's really, and and we're good communicators and we do the little things right. Outside that, I mean, anybody that can do, anybody can do this job, but we're creatives that handle the business side better than most create, you know, most creatives and you know, Mm -hmm. are really, really good at being creative. They're not good at anything else. And uh, I learned early on, you've got to be creative, but you have to also do the other stuff. Right. Um, And the other stuff is answering your phone. The other stuff is being on time. The other stuff is being easy to work with, being a guy in camp that people enjoy being around, understanding 
your gear, understanding what you're hunting, how you're hunting it, where you're going, you know, logistics, you know, all the little things working within a deadline, you know, replying to that email and all the little things that you don't, that, that most people just don't do these days. Yep. We do that. Yep. And, um, and I think that's been honestly, you know, cause I said it a thousand times, there's better shooters, there's better producers, there's better editors than us. hundred percent. There's thousands of them. Yep. But they're probably not doing all the other stuff that we are doing. And that's why people continue to call us and continue to call you is because all those little things that make their life easier, we're going to do that. And following through, you know, yeah. I, you got to always follow through. If you tell somebody, I'm, I'm traditional when it comes to the handshake. I know a lot of people, um, you know, these days they feel safe with the contract and I'm okay with doing contracts. But I tell folks, if you shake my hand and I say I'm going to do something, I follow through with it. And that adds a lot of value to people when they know they can trust you and you say you're going to do something and you end up delivering that. And mm-hmm. that, that speaks volumes, in, yeah. especially in this business, because it's such a small family of people. When you really look at the combination of all the different folks in the outdoor industry. So it'll ripple back on you if you don't follow through with well, the stuff even, that you're saying. Even beyond that, you shake somebody's hand and you don't follow through. You're going to communicate why and yes. the reasons why. Yep. And how you're going to make it up for them. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Versus ghosting somebody or blaming it on someone else or not answering that phone call and be like, yeah, you know, and lying about it. It's like, no, dude, like, I look, I told you it's going to be done today. The reason it's not done today is because I did this. I screwed up, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and that sounds simple, but for a lot of people, it's not. People respect an honest answer. Yeah, for sure. Well, so... Growing up in Washington, you know, the majority of your hunting has been out west and working with Freddie, you know, yep. you guys spend a lot of time hunting out west. So you would consider yourself and you enjoy the, the western stuff more so than everything else or you kind of? I I appreciate and respect all types of hunting, fishing, all, all the outdoor sports. Um, just being a Washingtonian, if you will, amongst all the other places that I've lived, Um that being in my backyard, it's really easy to access and go and do more backcountry-related hunts. And having met Freddie, he was the notorious mule deer and elk hunter, right? He had a ranch in Colorado, so the opportunity to be out there and to film and be amongst that, tip, uh, that type of species, the elk and mule deer in particular, I got to learn a lot of that northwest animal life and being in that type of a wilderness. So I've done lots of um, turkey hunts, whitetail hunts. I've dabbled in that department, but I'm just more conveniently in the Northwest. Yeah. For a lot of the hunts that but I've But if you had on. to pick one, what would it be? Elk for days. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah elk, for sure. There's just, um, if you've never hunted an elk, I highly recommend that you try it because it will change your entire perspective on hunting. And it's not that it's, um, every animal has its own challenge on what you're pursuing, but the elk just have, there's just something magical about hunting an elk and how, elusive they are how majestic they are the country that they live in yeah. where they thrive and to me an elk creates the most ultimate hunting challenge yeah um so this past week with black rifle coffee company we were filming uh, evan hafer and his father ed and they both got fantastic bulls um hunting at wild country outfitters and everything just it was one of those hunts is just picture perfect the way things panned out we had hot weather. We had a snowstorm. That happens storm. all the time. 
Happens all the time. Oh right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's usually a miracle when it all comes together as smooth as this round did. But it's just it's really fun when you get to film those type of hunts and see everything come together, the camaraderie, getting especially getting to document a father son hunt. Mm-hmm. That's super special, especially for a lot of us guys that hopefully have some influence from whether it's a grandfather, uncle, or dad. There's usually somebody that's influenced you to get into the outdoors. So when you get to share that special time with them, it's it's a real pleasure to get to document it and see them just celebrate things together. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah, Ryer's going to get to go out to Wild Country for the first time tomorrow with you. So y'all oh are going to be elk hunting in the morning. Absolutely. You're going to so love it. So y'all going to be with Greg. You'll, you're going to be muzzleloader for an elk. And then hopefully if he kills an elk in time, you'll be going after a mule deer. So it'll be a fun, mm-hmm. fun fill week. And have y'all kind of went over y'all's punch list of all the stuff that you guys got to do? Yeah, I've got, I've got, um, what is the app that you like to use? Trello? Trello. Yeah. Well, can you break me down a little bit more on the Trello app just so the listeners yeah. can also know how that works? Yeah. So I've recently started trying to use it just to kind of organize since now we've got so many say, so I say so many, we've got several clients that all of them have different needs mm-hmm. and lit, you know, so I use it as a list and kind of as a check off and you can, within the, within the list, you can put notes and then bullet points and, you know, check off lists and things like that. And I've been trying to kind of make it, and it's really easy to be shareable with multiple people. They can all see it at the same time mm-hmm. and, and the apps free for the version that we use. So, uh, and you can upload photos there. You can put videos and links and it's, we we just scratch the surface of what it can do, mm-hmm. but it just makes it to where we can kind of all be on the same page with here's the to-do list, here's information for someone that you need to get a hold of, here's how we structure the card dumps, here's how we do this, that, and the other. Um, and it just is a really neat kind of project management tool. Yeah. Just absolutely. since we've got, you know, so many different projects now between the two TV shows, Dudley, and then the what, what, two web shows and uh it's it's just a an easy way for it for me to wrap my head around it and to have it all in one place versus which i keep notes on my iphone a lot too so i yeah. have it in a couple of different places but uh it's just a really easy way to do that what um, i love is from the times i have used the trailer app since you've introduced me to it is you can be in georgia i can be in washington we could be talking on the phone on speaker let's say and go through the app, and it's changing in real time. I can physically watch you change something on yeah. there. So our notes are currently, or there, our notes are changed in real time, which is really nice because yeah. I can shoot you an update. Hey, this has been changed, or you'll get a ping, and it'll let you know. Yeah. So, yeah, with the Trello app, that's going to play really essential for this week, filming with Greg Ritz of Hunt Masters, so that way we can keep track of yeah, is that, all is the that, shot lists that we got Let me make sure that on. punch list is even in here. I think it is. You, you put it in. Did right I put here. it in there? Yeah. You're looking at it? Okay, good deal. All right. Yeah, so it, it, we just put down in detail, you know, we want to make sure we're getting a lot of specific shots. And by writing those out, you're creating a typed version of a storyboard, if you will. So most people, if you don't know what a storyboard is, when you're drawing out, think of like a comic strip to create a visual of what it is you're trying to capture on camera in this circumstance on Trello, we write it down in a note format. So, hey, we want to get that sunrise shot with, you know, maybe Greg's walking like we did before, walking and we got the sun in the background. It's just beautiful to make sure you're getting those, but you can get kind of caught up in the moment when you're doing video work, and it's just a fantastic tool to stay super organized. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's something that I want to get deeper into. Okay. Just because I haven't, like I said, I haven't, I've just barely scratched the surface as to what it can do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to get, be able to use the full capabilities of the app and um, haven't done that yet, but I think we'll eventually get there. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a lot to it. I think if you break down a little bit too on each show's different, right? They've got a different criteria, different deliverables, different sponsors. How do you manage that on your end from the producing side? Usually we just get kind of a list of what those deliverables are and try and try our best to keep up with it and, you know, under-promised, over-deliver on that kind of stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, like Red Arrow has a lot of sponsors um, and their deliverables are kind of all over the place. And then Greg's are a little more specific. He doesn't have as many sponsors, but... uh and he's only really got one sponsor that kind of their deliverables are a little tougher. Okay. The other ones are pretty down the middle. You know, as long as we, you know, inter- integrate them into shows really well, they don't have specifics like, you know, certain certain sponsors have to be in there a certain amount of seconds per episode and things like that. So um, that makes it a little aggravating and annoying. But that's just really we got to do a good job in the field of getting all those things. And then in editing, we've got to have to sit there with a the stop clock sometimes, which <laughs> – I don't like just because it makes it really hard to be creative when you have a requirement. Hey, you have to have this much of this in there, you know? Right. Um, But that's the beauty of television. There's different levels of what we call, let's say, product integration, right? So you have organic integration, which could be maybe somebody's wearing a hat. It's got the brand on it. You don't have to draw an arrow to it on the screen and say, hey, I'm wearing such and such a brand. but. I would consider that organic integration. It's in the content, and you don't have to go out of your way to shoot it. It's, yeah. it's just going to be physically be there. Optics are usually easy, depending on what weapon you're using. But there's certain sponsors where it's a no-brainer. Then you'll come across certain things. Let's say, for instance, uh, like a trail camera. It's not something you're going to just use right out of your backpack. You have to go and intentionally kind of create a skit or a sequence, or you need to go and specifically go and set that up. So there's certain notes that we'll keep to make sure we don't forget those yeah. key moments. So I know we've talked about this, but photos are kind of your jam. Like yes. if you could just do photos, I think you probably would, wouldn't you? I love photography. And like I said, that was kind of where I got my kickstart in doing all of this. It's definitely been my strong suit for composing shots, framing up the shots and getting a nice visual on how, when I convert over to the video side, I have a better understanding of how I'm going to frame things. Mm-hmm. So I think that's definitely helped my skill set by starting in photography, dabbling there, and then getting into the video side has just been that much more exciting with the fact that now you can take that still image and put it into motion. So I love I love both sides of it. They're both equally challenging. Um, video equipment, as you guys both know, you got to pack a lot more gear with you than just putting a camera in a hard case oh, and traveling yeah. around with it. Yep, can't just strap it to your shoulder and roll on. No. Which, I mean, it'd be nice if you could sometimes, but... uh. Yeah. So how is it? So you've you've pretty much mainly been with Freddie for a long time. You've started like this year, you know, with Greg. You've done some stuff with some new clients. Kind of how do you approach working with someone new? Like what's your what's your not necessarily your approach, but kind of maybe your pre planning, your pre production. How do you try and you know either warm up to that person, kind of gauge their personality? Because sure. I know I've noticed with you, you've you really try and think about. When you have a conversation with someone or you talk to somebody new, you really look for cues on what kind of person they are about mm-hmm. 
how they talk, how long they talk, what they talk about. They like to talk about their self. They like to talk about other things. So what's kind of your outlook on that? Yeah, and I think um, where I probably built that skill set is going back to the catering side of things, working in Hollywood. You're working with all sorts of personalities. You've got musicians. You've got actors. You have uh, business people, real estate agents. We did all sorts of por- parties, and you're always dealing with somebody new. You've got the people that are you know, high and snooty, you got the really humble folks, but just taking as simple as it sounds, taking a tray of hors d'oeuvres to that person, everybody's going to either accept you or reject you differently. And through that repetition, I think you just get used to being like, all right, that person clearly did not want the hors d'oeuvres and they were really rude about it. So I come up with a new delivery message, but it helped me to kind of get into the psychology of better understanding personalities and how to apply what I know from that into the hunting world and being such a family in the outdoor industry and and as small as it is, you're naturally going to get to know a lot of people. We go to a lot of trade shows. That's where you typically will develop a lot of sponsorship relationships and you'll set up those meetings. You'll sit down, you give them your video spiel, if you will. So you have your elevator speech, you've got some video portfolio to show them and they've got a hundred other people coming at them saying, Hey, I want, I want to use your product in my show. So what can we do to make ourselves different? And a lot of that comes down to what's your personality like? What's my personality like? And how can we relate to that person? And you can usually tell pretty quick if you're going to mesh with somebody, if you have something in common with them. It's always great if you can find those common notes. Um, And a lot of times, you know, you'll run across that one stubborn client or that stubborn person. And you're like, okay, I'd rather just not do business with them and maybe veer around it. But a lot of it is really keeping in touch consistently with folks. Just a simple message of, hey, I was just thinking of you today. A lot of times I store a lot of my images in Dropbox. You guys like to use Smug Mug, Mug, which is also fantastic. Um, But I might be going through an old photo. And I actually did this last night while Ryan and I were in the room. I saw an old photo. I was like, hey, do you ever take a picture, download it, and just text it to your friend and be like, hey, I was just thinking of you, and here's an old photo I took of you. Mm -hmm. So those little things, it just... It just brings brightness to their day to let them know that you're thinking about them. But then you also stay on their radar because then you're fresh on their mind right then and there. Yeah. So that little bit of management in those relationships, because hopefully you genuinely want to check in on the person. But they're like, oh, that guy just reached out to me the other day. Happens to talk to somebody that's like, hey, do you know a good camera guy? Oh, bingo. I'm right there on their mind. Mm -hmm. So that's where I probably get a lot of my job opportunities is just by staying out in front of people, checking in on them and maintaining relationships. And it's a lot of work. So maybe, maybe other than that, what's another piece of advice you'd give somebody that's freelancing? Somebody that's freelancing. I would say, obviously we said, don't be afraid to ask questions, but from a freelance world, you have to be able to always, um, maybe we should explain, explain what freelancing is first. So explain, what freelancing sure. videographer is. So freelancing versus me being, let's say, an employee to a company mm-hmm. where you have, you've got that um, income that you know is always going to be there. you got your nine to five paycheck from an employee standpoint, but you go freelance, you never know when the next job's going to come. You always have to be kind of seeking it. You have to be available. And then you're hopefully through your relationships going to fill those calendars up. So what I do too is, I've got lots of other media company relationships like Copeland Creative is one of them. I've got a good buddy, Matt, of Mazer Media. Um, And staying in touch with those, we all have different work coming in. 
but we all have one calendar and you Mm -hmm. can only fill that calendar up so much. So once they're maxed out, they're going to reach out to the buddies that stay in touch with them or buddies that throw them work. Well, it's like today you have stuff on the calendar and you had another client reach out. You can't do it and you ask us and we technically can't do it. So it's one of those things to where we just, there's not enough days in the fall. (laughs) Exactly. And you just have to, um, you know, it's kind of, I scratch my back. You, I scratch, you scratch my back. I scratch yours. Yeah, for sure. You've done a fantastic job in, in, uh, getting me some camera gigs. And the best part is always try to repay the favor to somebody else, especially if they go another way to help you out. So yeah, the freelance world is huge when it comes to that. So, um, I know Ryer, I want to ask Ryer this too, but I want you to answer first, but you talked a little bit about some stuff you want to, you want to do, but what's the story that you think needs to be told? whether it's in the outdoors or otherwise. I think there's so many great stories that could be told out there, but um, for me, one in particular that's not so much related to hunting, but just related to being a gentleman these days, We, I think we struggle a lot with the way kids are raised, and there could be a lot more discipline. It doesn't mean you have to physically discipline your children, but there's just not as much attention invested into your kids as I think could be done. And a lot of that ripples into, you know, what's a gentleman these days? There's a lot of people you can't shake a hand and trust them. Mm -hmm. And I think we've lost that craft. We've lost that um, loyalty and being able to follow through with those things. So I would love to see a film project at some point in my career where we can take that historical side of things to show how we've gone from far back in the past to where we are now and maybe all the things that have affected to why we we are where we are these days, going through all these political issues, and um, there's just so much we could do to do a better job, and it really ripples down to the parenting, I think, and just yeah. paying attention to your children and teaching them the right ways and not giving them a video game controller or trying to sidetrack them with other things, but putting in some genuine invested time with your kids. Yeah. Raising kids is not easy. It is a job. Yep. Or what's the story you want to tell? I think we've talked about this before, but I know mine. I'm gonna. I've got a new one. I'm gonna throw mm-hmm. in there. Oh, you've got a new one. Mm-hmm. Do I need to have a new one? No, you don't have to. Um, story that I want to tell. Um, I really would like to tell a story about. Um, I'm a big cyclist. Obviously, everybody who listens to this would know that. Um, I would like to tell a story about cycling and uh kind of the grind that cycling is um i think it'd be really cool to get maybe somebody who is in the upper echelons of maybe the amateur race um scene in the u.s uh which basically means that you might make a little bit of money uh but you're definitely probably still working a full-time job and taking race season and trying to fit mm-hmm. um, training and race season around your full-time job, basically to do a sport that nobody cares about in the United <laughs> States, um, just for because you love it. Um, and I think that's you know that's something that's close to my heart because I'm a I'm a cyclist and um, doing a sport that usually you get ridiculed for, but uh, knowing how much work and how much dedication goes into it. I think it would be really cool to 
to be able to convey that to maybe people who hadn't been exposed to mm-hmm. that, especially in the United States, because uh, cycling is a very European sport. And so you go over to Europe and people really have an understanding of the sport here in the United States. People really don't have an understanding of the sport. Um, and I think that it'd be just really cool to, to take somebody who's very passionate about it and is pursuing it and basically, uh, you know, almost like, uh, almost like in, in the hunting industry, you, you have people who they, they have to work their nine to five, but Mm -hmm. when they're not working their nine to five, they're out trying to make, uh, a TV show or to make a brand and, and they're just doing it because they love to do that thing. And I think it'd be really cool to kind of take the same approach and, and well, show that your, in the cycling world. With your skill set in both the video and the editing side of things, I think that'd be a fantastic film or video, whatever you made it into. Yeah, I'd like to do maybe a film or a film series. Um, I kind of like this series. I, I've The more I really watch more of the docuseries content after Blue Stem, um, I really like that format. I like being able... Have you ever seen the Blue Stem Project? I have not. I need to send you the link to that. Um, because usually for a film, for a film like that, you're looking at, uh, 10 to 20 minutes. Whereas if you do a series, you could do maybe in, in total an hour mm-hmm. of content and it gives you a really cool format to be able to break down different parts of the process and different parts of the journey and really develop a story well, it's and kind a of character. The, it's kind of the difference in a TV interview where you get five minutes versus a podcast where you can really dive yeah, deep. Right. You know, it's kind of, you know, you jump on Fox news and you get three minutes to get your point across. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Versus you sit down with Joe Rogan, you can talk for three hours. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, that's, I kind of, I mean, that's the kind of difference. I mean, a film is, I mean, it's not the same, but to kind of maybe break it down for somebody who doesn't understand, it's really hard to tell a great story in 10 or 20 minutes. Yes. You you can tell a great story in that amount of time. Don't get me wrong. It's just really hard to get your audience well, to feel connected to something. Well, if you want to develop a character, if you want to develop a location, if you want to if you want to elicit an emotion, if you want to span some time, you need more than 10 or 15 20 minutes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um and that from the production standpoint is it's great in theory to have that much time, but it also is incredibly hard to tell a story that's an hour long, that is engaging, that especially working on the budgets that we have, right. which is virtually nothing. Um, it's tough, but to kind of, so mine is completely different than both. Of you. Well, I mean, yours was different, but I knew Ryers was going to be something with cycling. <laughs> I'm going to come up with a different one that's so that you don't even the know story, about. So I've talked about some films I wanted to do, and I've still got some films in my back pocket that I've talked to people that I trust about that I want to do some of these one of these days that are virtually all of them are hunting related. But I have one, I and I don't even want to produce this. I just want to see it seen, which I wouldn't mind trying to produce it. It'd be really really tough, and it would be so outside my element. But the story that needs to be told, and I guess it hits home with me because they caught him like less than an hour from my house, was Eric Rudolph, the guy that bombed the 96 um, Olympics. Oh, okay, yes. So yes. He, was, he was loose in the woods for like two years where they were searching for this guy. 
you know, in the mountains north of our house. Um, they couldn't find him. Hmm. They had teams of people looking for this guy, and they never found him. And he, they found him. They caught him years later in Murphy, North Carolina, rummaging through a dumpster. Really? Yeah. And he was so tired of running, he just told him who he was. He's like, I just can't run anymore. Wow. But I want to know where he went. I want to know who helped him. And I want to know some and how close were they. I want to know some of the things that, because he's in, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming he's in prison now. But I want somebody to tell the story of what happened from the time they figured out it was him. Because so, they did the Richard Jewell, who the guy they thought did it. Okay. But at the end, they, you know, Richard, they, they find out that he's innocent, and they said they caught him. His name's Eric Rudolph. I want to know what happened when they started looking for him. Like, yeah, where was he? What was he doing? Where was he hiding? How was he hiding? Because you avoid detection in the mountains for a year or two. You know, when he wasn't from there, mm-hmm. somebody was helping him. Um, that's a, that's something every time I drive through like Chattanooga and going through there, like those mountains, like I'm like, Eric Rudolph was in this area and I want to know where was he? Right. How was he surviving? Especially in the winter season. Yeah. Right? Like what gear did he have? Where was he sleeping? How was he eating? You know, and there was like a, not a trace of him. Right. So was he even in the mountains like they thought he was? Right. Was he in somebody's basement? You know? I just that's a to me that's always been one that I want to I want to know more about. That's fascinating. I I definitely want to watch that. Yeah. So it's just which, you know, I know a lot of people don't know this, but I I love true crime. Like I love true crime podcasts, true crime like unsolved mystery type things. Like love that kind of stuff. My wife is obsessed with the murder podcast. Like oh yeah, me too. Stories. So me too. I need to get with her on some of the ones I've listened to and some of the ones she's listened to. Which ones are good and which ones are bad? That way, because I'm out of them. Like I'm kind of like, what's the next one I need to listen to? Yep. But um, yeah, that's that's something that I want to do. Which Ryer and I also have a we we've got an idea of something we want to do next time. uh, Next time a big hurricane or something hits, like we've got an idea of what something we want to do then, if we have the time. But um. I just thought that was. I just thought that that'd yeah, be a no, really cool great. story to tell. Um, be a really cool, like full blown two hour film. Maybe we just get real crazy and combine all three of the stories we <laughs> want to tell. Maybe we could have the cyclist. Maybe he got away on a bike and just rode bike through the hills. <laughs> and he was raising a kid the whole time. Yeah, and he was. <laughs> Turns out he was Lance Armstrong. <laughs> Ironically, he wasn't raised a gentleman. Yeah, golly, that's funny. Um, what? Where do you find inspiration? Inspiration. Well. I would say there's so many great spots to find inspiration. I, I actually, social media is a great resource. You'll see a beautiful image. And leading back to not being afraid to ask questions, uh, a person that most of you guys may know of, or if you don't, you should definitely know of him. His name is Chris Douglas. He used to be creative de- director at Filson and a fantastic Western-style photographer. I just love his photography. And I reached out to him. I was like, hey, I'm just obsessed with these beautiful photos they're super inspiring i would love to just learn from you and pick your brain so social media was a great access point for some of that stuff and um, i'm always asking older people you know tell me a little bit about your story and try and cherry pick and and take some of those keynotes to inspire me to do things differently and maybe help me shortcut things just like this podcast is such a great resource to talk about ways in helping people to accelerate to get into what we're doing so I'm always seeking different avenues to find inspiration through things. But 
a lot of it's just in the mountains. You go on a hike. I don't even have to have a, a weapon with me in hunting. I just go for a hike and being out there inspires so many different ideas and maybe ways I, I want to film and photograph and look at things differently and clears my mind a little bit. So, um, but there's the, it's endless. The, the different spots I get inspiration. I could just meet a cashier at a grocery store and have a simple conversation with them and they might say something, uh, some positive line that just inspires me to kind of apply that to my life. Mm-hmm. All right. Favorite, just to end it up and we'll wrap it up. What's your sure. favorite movie? Favorite movie is hands down Braveheart and just the overall story to that. Um, it's got the action, the romance, the motive. I think it's a very, very beautiful cinematic movie and coming from a camera guy perspective, I love how everything's framed and the history to it. I think it just encompasses everything that I look for in a movie, you know, among Gladiator and, and Shawshank Redemption and all those types of movies. I definitely fall in the category of that, but I would put Braveheart high on my radar. Braveheart's a good one. I haven't seen it in a long time. I need to rewatch it. What's yours, Ryer? My favorite movie. Well, he's only seen three. Something, That's something cycling, something cycling related. I know what his favorite movie is. No, okay, so I have different categories of favorite. Movies. His favorite movie's Top Gun. That's this is that's a great movie. That, that is a semi truth. <laughs> uh, my favorite one of so I have two different categories. I have my favorite movies that I just like to watch, and I will watch them over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah. And I have my favorite movies that are cinematic masterpieces. So let's narrow it down to the question I ask a lot of people when you're in a restaurant or when you're having a food conversation. If you're in prison and you're on death row and you were going to die tomorrow and you only get one movie to watch, what's it going to be? It's usually one meal to eat, but in this case, what's your last movie that you'll get to watch? I think the last movie... Don't say Lion King. Has somebody said the Lion King <laughs> no, before? Uh, I would probably say Top Gun, actually, just because plane noises. Well, there we go. That helped us narrow it down a little <laughs> like bit I faster. Said, Top but Gun. My, my, my favorite cinematic movie, I would say, is probably Shawshank Redemption. It's a good one. Yeah. It is a good one. And the story behind it? Yeah. Solid. Would you say yours? Did you say yours, Caleb? Me? If I only if I only had one movie to watch, yeah. Can it be a series? No, no. It's a movie. It has to be a movie. Mm. I know what your series would be. One movie. I can only watch one movie. Jeff Daniels in Newsroom is great, but what's the movie? Hmm, that's really tough. You want me to give you a ten second timer? You're leaving, probably, you're leaving everybody in suspense right now. Probably be, oh, man, I don't know. I don't. It's really, really tough to choose one. Um, okay, choose three. Choose, Sorry, I don't Ryer, even know if I, I, don't even, I don't even know if I could choose three. Um, Skirting this question so bad, Caleb. I, I just don't have a favorite. Like, I, I, I don't have a, you know, standout favorite. You've got to watch a movie before you die. On death row. All right. What Ryer, is the movie? Dude, Ryer's going to give you a genre. I go on to Netflix to... and like scroll, 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 scroll. Never can make a decision. I'm like, that one sounds good. That one sounds good. That one sounds good. I just nothing. I, I do the same thing, but for the sake of the question, you have to answer. Give him a genre and he has to pick one from there. It would that? probably be Legends of the Fall, Ooh, something like that. Well done. That's high on my radar right there. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's a fantastic movie. It is. You that, ooh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe A Man from Snowy River. The Man oh, from Snowy River. I don't know. Too. Gosh, man. I don't know. I got you. I like oh. to see, I like to hear those though, because it goes to show you some of the stuff that inspires us to even yeah. get into the outdoors. Well, and, and you think about and, those movies, you know, they're, they're older movies. And uh, you watch them now and you're like, yeah, that's some bad acting. But like, those are the movies that I grew up on. Yeah. You know, a River Runs Through It, you know, Legends of the Fall. Uh, you know, the, the just the movies about the wilderness and the West. And uh, it, it's just, there's something about them. There's just a romance to it. And I guess that's why I just like hunting and elk hunting mm-hmm. and just the, the romance and the stories. And it doesn't become, a, it's not about the person that's hunting. It's about the animal and the place. Right. You know? You're, it's you know you're just a means to an end. You're just a reason. That's just a reason to get there. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Uh, Funny part about the Braveheart movie. So, we went to the movie theater. My sister and I had to go watch some other movie that I can't even remember what it was. While my parents were in a different cinema space watching Braveheart, and I was like, I, I got to go see what they're watching. So I actually snuck out of the theater, went into their theater that they were in. And I come in during the battle scene when all the guys flip their kilts up and it was like arrows come flying from the sky and all the guys are getting hit in the butt cheeks with arrows. I was like, this is awesome. I'm so not allowed to be watching this stuff right now. <laughs> and that's what set the bar for me for obviously later getting to watch the whole thing. But yeah. I just thought that was so funny. Looking back at you, you made me think of that with some of these old old movies and, and the pieces that play into them. But maybe that's probably what drove me to want to see the movie in the first place. Yeah. You got anything else? I think that's it. We've been talking for an hour. Oh, really? An hour flies when you're having fun. Mm-hmm. We're in a dark, dim hotel room. No lights on. We turn the AC off so you don't have to hear the buzz. Yeah. We're looking at some other fantastic hotel buildings yeah. out the window. Can we see the mountains? Can you even see them? Yeah, no. barely with the haze. And I'm getting hungry. Oh, yeah. We haven't eaten, have we? But we should go um, We should go eat. We leave at dark 30 in the morning. Yeah. We've got our batteries charging. Everything's Pretty organized. You guys have been editing all day. What were you editing? We're editing the Rambo piece we just got done shooting, which we're still not done with. I guess I'll stay up with that a little bit more and tweak on it a little. I'm tired of looking at it already. How was that Rambo bike? That's a, that's the newest. We didn't even ride it. We didn't even get to ride it. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. What model is that one? that you New filmed? Rampage. Rambo Rampage. Rampage. Rambo yeah. Rampage. <laughs> Brought to you by Ryer Red Hair. <laughs> Ryer Red Hair. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think... Get a bite to eat, get some rest, mm-hmm. get our gear packed up. Mm-hmm. I still and feel like all, all of my gear feels like it's everywhere Yeah, me right now. <laughs> How do you like, deal with clutter, Ryer? Do you do well with clutter? Uh, no. No, I <laughs> there's I maintain a certain level of stress and anxiety throughout hunting season <laughs> because <laughs> I never get, none of my stuff is ever as organized as I want it to be. Yeah. And I, so I always feel a little frazzled at all times. <laughs> so like if, if I just kind of have like a weird semi-stressed look on my face, it's not because of anything other than I just feel like there's things everywhere. Yep. Uh, well, let's fix that. We'll get that fixed now and go get something to eat or yep. we can order pizza or whatever you want to do. Yep. doesn't matter to me. I treat, pizza might be I nice. treat my hunting gear as like a mobile office where everything has a specific pocket in the backpack or in the luggage, it always goes in the same location every time. And if it gets disorganized, which it always does in the middle of the shoots 
when I get to a hotel room or I have a, you know, a space on a floor or something, I lay it all out and I reassemble it back into those pockets where it belongs. So that way I know if anything's missing, it'll still be laying out on the bed. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's one thing. Or if you plug a battery in, how many times have you forgotten a battery or a charging cord in the wall? I always try to put keys. You said you always put something in your I'll hat. put things in my hat. Yeah. It's because I will never forget my hat. Yeah. So I always have a spot for everything. So if there's anything, anything sitting out, then there's an issue. Well, let's do that and finish this edit and go get something to eat and get ready to go. It's Perfect. about to be about to be on like Donkey Kong here for a long time. Bugle thirty. Bugle thirty, yeah. You're gonna I tom- know. Tomorrow I'm... I I bet I get I bet a hundred dollars you hear over a hundred bugles tomorrow. I'm not oh. taking that bet because I know I'll lose. It was incredible while I was there. We went out one morning and saw at least seventy five bulls. Mm. It's just it, it's a pl- you kept telling me, Caleb, over and over again. You're like, when you go there, it's nothing like you've, you've ever never seen, seen anything like this before. And they've got. I was trying to calculate. So what is it? Two hundred fifty thousand acre ranch. Two two sixty one or something like that. And when you think about going in one canyon, I did a four mile walk and saw seventy five bulls. So how many animals are on a property? With, you know, that's got to be an insane number. A lot. Yeah, a lot, and they kill a lot of bulls there, and it doesn't seem to bother them because they just go crazy. I mean, because we'll I'll be there after they've done three solid weeks of elk hunting, and that's when it's really dumb. They bugle. I mean, you're there with Brock. They get worked. They up. will bugle all day and all night long. They don't. They don't shut up. They don't stop. Nope. And we slept out in one of the canyons on our last night with the black rifle team, and there was bulls screaming everywhere. And I don't know if you guys could hear it, but I'll put it on here. Pardon my uh, learning to call elk. I'm usually better behind a camera, but if you can hear this, I'll play it. And I snuck up on a bull, did a cow call, and I got him at four. I pulled him into 40 yards. He was probably about 500 yards away when I first bugle or uh, cow called him. But let me see if it'll play just for the audio. It'd be kind of fun. Here you go. We'll be hearing that all week long. Yes. More to come. No better sound in the world. All right, guys. Appreciate it, Clint. Thanks, man. Yeah, thank you, guys. Peace.